How we doing? Am I good? Y'all got quite quick. Cool. I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, want to echo a couple of things JC said. One is congratulations to the seniors. I think we had a few more in nine than we do in here right now, but congratulations to you graduating and moving on to a new season in your life. Second thing is, um, come join us Wednesday night. I want to just say that again. Come pray with us on Wednesday night at 6. We'll be praying for uh, the nations, for missions, for church planning, that just to see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Uh, so come pray with us as we do that on Wednesday night at 6. We'd love for you to come join us. Most important thing we do is to pray. And so come be a part of that. Today, we're going to be in week number two of the Pride series. And so um, we're going to be back again in Matthew chapter 23 is where we're going to be starting. Matthew chapter 23, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. Um, looked at this a little bit last week. We're going to be back here again today as we look at the next part of Pride, Matthew chapter 23. So if you may notice this, what we're doing actually is we started in the middle with I last week, and we looked at I, and we looked at a lot of uh, the issue of pride is in myself, specifically with another I word, insecurity. Now we're going to drop back, and we're going to catch this next letter, starting from the beginning and coming across. So we're going to start with P today, um, and we're going to look at this concept of pretending. And another little word that we hear a lot around the church, sometimes often misunderstood, which is hypocrisy. And so we want to kind of, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, unmask hypocrisy um, and really look at what is it and, and maybe how we've misunderstood that and how we can overcome this in the church because it is something that's detrimental to the church. And so I want to read from Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 4. We're going to skip through some other verses and then we'll pray, we'll jump in, we'll get this going. Let me ask you this, how many of you today would like for the Lord to do something in our midst, right? If not already in your heart during worship, right now through God's word, you would say, I didn't just come here to show up. I came here because I knew God would show up and I need him to do something in me. Anybody? Yeah, I mean, I hope that's what you came here for, is not just to, to show up, but that God would show up and he would move in our hearts. And so as I'm praying I want to encourage you to lift your mind and lift your heart to the Lord. Open your heart up to what God might want to say to you. Uh, I would encourage you today not to let this message be for your neighbor, right? The one you elbow when I make a point. But let this message sink into your heart as I've let it sink into my heart. Let it challenge you as I've let it challenge me. Let, let this be something that God uses to bring transformation into our life, that God uses to reaffirm his love in us and God uses to transform us and take us from glory to glory in Jesus. Amen? All right, let's go. Um, Matthew 23, verse 4. Jesus says this. He's speaking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were the religious leaders of the Jews. And we're going to find some more things out about them today. It says, Jesus says this. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads. And put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. What's he talking about? He's not talking about like loading them down with firewood. He's talking about the law. He's talking about these rules, this legalistic mindset of trying to make yourself right with God. 
through your ability, through your effort, through your own self-righteousness. He says they put this burden on people. He says everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries long or wide and the tassels on their garments long. Skip down to verse 13. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You what? Hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You? All right. A couple more caught, caught on. You'll, get, you'll catch on as we go through, right? You hypocrites. He tells them, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jump over to verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You? Hey, here we go. You give it. We're getting Pentecostal now. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Without neglecting the former, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You, yeah, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law. And Pharisees, you, kind of repetitive, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. One more time, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, we got this down now. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. On that happy, cheerful note, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning that when we show up, God, you show up, you're here. But I don't ask that you would be amongst us. I thank you for being amongst us. I thank you for being here, Lord. My prayer is that you would make us more aware of your presence. Make us more aware of your power, your passion for us, your love for us, your compassion for us. Make us more aware of the power of your grace. Make us more aware of the spirit who lives in those who belong to you through Christ. Make us more aware of the power of the resurrection that's in us to give life and to transform. God, I pray today we wouldn't settle for a make-believe Christianity, but that, God, we would long for you more that our thirst would only be quenched in you, and yet that thirst would always remain for more of you. God, work in our hearts. Just lift your heart up to the Lord right now, just right where you are. Just encourage you to open your heart. Allow the Lord to plant the good seed of his word inside of you.
And let him do in you what you cannot do for yourself. Let him do through you what you cannot do on your own. God, we thank you and we love you and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's a lot of movies, there's a lot of TV shows, a lot of famous things that um, you can probably think of real quiet, real quiet, real, real fast. That famous people, famous shows, famous movies, that the, the main character wore mask. Anybody think of something real quick? Come to mind real quick, real quick, real quick. Just in case, I want to show you a few. How about this one? Who knows who that is? Phantom of the Opera. How many of you have ever seen it? So here's, here's this is going to be a big surprise to you for those of you who know me. I've never seen it. I know that surprises you all. But I will say this. I read up on it. And as I started reading it, I got really interested. I think I want to see it. It actually has a really cool plot. It's kind of creepy, but really sounds really cool. But yeah, so wore a mask, disfigured face. So he wore this mask, right? The Phantom of the Opera, one of the famous masks we think about. How about this guy? Who watched this as a kid? Yeah, I did too. I mean, I'm a little aging myself a little bit here. It was, it was, it was reruns. It wasn't new. Um, but, but yeah, I watched some Zorro. How about this guy? Lone Ranger. Who watched the Lone Ranger? Used to love the Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger and Tonto. My dad, one time, he had some silver 38 bullets in his dresser drawer. He calls me back to his bedroom, and he's like, son, I think you're finally old enough for me to tell you this. I was like seven. He calls me back. He pulls out a couple of those silver 38 bullets, and he says, son, you need to know something. I'm like, what, dad? He showed them to me. He goes, I am the Lone Ranger. <laughs> he was already a hero, right? But now I'm like, oh. I went to school and told everybody my dad's the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Broke my heart when I found out like a month ago. He told me he wasn't. And I was like, dang, dumb, Dad. Why would you do that to me? But, but the Lone Ranger, who was that masked man? Right? Um, then we get to this one, right? Batman. I didn't want to put one of the Batmans up there because I didn't want to start a fight with anybody because you start arguing about who's the best Batman. I haven't seen any of them, so I don't really care, but I know he wears a mask. And so, um, but Batman, famous mask. How about this one? Everybody will know this one. Anybody? I don't know who that is either. But the point I want to make, though, is this. This is actually a mask from the first century B.C., Okay, so this is right there about the time of Jesus coming onto the scene. This is the first century B.C. This is a mask that an actor would have worn during a play. And I want you to first understand the definition of hypocrisy that we're working with. This is where the word hypocrisy came from. The word hypocrisy that we use actually came from a Greek word. This is kind of complicated, but hang with me. It came from a Greek word that was made up of two words. And the two words literally translated meant interpreter beneath the mask. Interpreter beneath the mask. And what they were saying is that when these actors came out and they put on the mask, they were interpreting the play from behind the mask. And they would actually say if an actor played more than one part, that he played the hypocrite. He could play the part with himself, but then he could put on the mask and he would then come out and play another role. And they would say, so-and-so played the hypocrite. He interpreted the play for us 
from underneath the mask. That's where this word actually comes from. Oftentimes, we think that hypocrisy is just being imperfect in the church. We think it's just an imperfection. But hypocrisy is actually not being imperfect. Hypocrisy is being imperfect but claiming to be perfect. It's wearing a mask to make yourself look like somebody else. That never happens in church, I know, right? We have no reputation in the church for hypocrisy, for saying one thing and doing another and claiming all the while to be righteous. But this is what we're looking at and what we're talking about. So last week, listen, we talked about pride. And I talked about how we live in our lives oftentimes much more like a tomato, that when the pressures of the world come and they begin to squeeze us, it just gets messy quick rather than a baseball where we can be squeezed tight and we don't buckle, we don't, we don't just gush out all over the place. Our life stays together because we're secure in who we are in Christ. Our, our identity, our acceptance, all of that is wrapped up in Jesus. It's not wrapped up in our own ability or our own performance. And so we become much more solid and secure. But when we're like that tomato, I told you that we tend to build this shell around our life. And we try to protect our heart. We try to put forward this front. And that is what we would call pride. It's this shell that protects our insecurity. And so we pretend to be someone we're not. You show me a prideful person, I'll show you an insecure person. You show me a person as we define pride as this unhealthy fixation on my own desires, my own um, wants, my own needs, my own um, just, just fixation on myself in general. And I'll show you someone who in the core of their being is insecure. But they build and we build. We tend to build this shell around us called pride. Now, if pride is the shell, what that shell is made of is pretension. It's pretension. Pretension is this pretending Listen to this. It's this pretending. It's acting as though I'm someone else. Pretension is not a word we hear a tremendous amount. I went and looked it up, and one of the definitions for pretension is simply to pretend. So what was the man wearing the mask in the play doing? He was pretending to be someone else. Jesus had something else to say about this. Listen in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't make it a show, just do it. So that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What is Jesus saying? Think about it like this. He's, he's basically saying these hypocrites are standing out there and they're presenting this as a show. He's saying, but they have received their reward in full. What was the hypocrite on the stage wanting? He was wanting applause from the audience. What were these Pharisees and teachers of the law doing as they did everything for show. They were wanting the applause and the congratulation and the honor from men. They were wanting to be congratulated. They were wanting to be applauded. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, if you want to build this facade, this, 
this pretend facade. If you want to live with this, this pretense about your life, you can do that. And you may gain the applause of men. And you may gain the, the approval of man. But the thing is, do you really want the approval of man or do you want your heart to be right with God and to gain the approval of your Father in heaven? Which one do you want? He's saying one is very temporary, but the other one, it lasts for eternity. When I began to look up the definition for pretension, it literally means pretending. Another way it defined it was make-believe. And that really caught my attention. Make-believe. Because what is make-believe? When you were a child and you played make-believe, you were pretending to be something. But I took it even one step further. When we begin to live a make-believe life, what I'm trying to do is make you believe something about me that isn't true. I'm making myself look like what I want you to think I am. And we live this life of make-believe. This hypocrisy, this pretending, this pretension, this make-believe Christianity. And there's a lot of problems that come along with make-believe Christianity. As we looked at in Matthew chapter 23, to summarize kind of what Jesus was saying in all of those passages, the problem of make-believe Christianity is, one, it doesn't save you. You can put on all the face, you can put on all the suits and ties, you can put on the jeans, you can whatever you want to put on to try to put on the show, but it doesn't save you. You can raise your hands in worship. You can sing with all your might. But if your lips confess him and your heart's far from him, guess what? It doesn't save you. Only faith in Jesus, truly bringing our heart before God. Saying, God, I need you. I can't depend on my own ability. God, this mask won't save me. I need you to save me. Make-believe Christianity doesn't save us. Make-believe Christianity, Jesus says, doesn't save others. Make-believe Christianity, Jesus says, it might look good on the outside, but you're still dead on the inside. You don't have the life of Christ. Maybe that's why for so many it's so unsatisfying to come and worship, to be on mission for Jesus, to love him, to love others. Maybe that's why it's such a hindrance. We're still dead on the inside. Jesus said, look, it doesn't lead people to heaven. It actually leads them to hell. It leads to disillusionment. Jesus said it causes you also to remain in condemnation as an enemy of God. He said, look, you can travel land and sea. We got people going to Turkey to tell people about Jesus. But he said, you Pharisees, you travel land and sea. And when you finally win a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. With all that in mind, I mean, make-believe Christianity, it's not too big a deal, Right? I mean, if Jesus says this over and over and over again, he's trying to reinforce this. He even warns in, uh, in another place where he says, look, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It'll spread through the entire loaf. He's saying, don't you think that this isn't dangerous? And he wants us to understand this. This make-believe Christianity, it, it doesn't connect us with God. It just puts up a, a face, a mask, a facade, a show. 
Make-believe Christianity doesn't give us strength when we're in the midst of a struggle or confidence to fulfill the calling God's given us as church. It doesn't give us clarity in the midst of confusion. It doesn't give us boldness for the battle that God's called us to. And here's the thing I would challenge us with. If this is something we recognize in our life, that look, I, I am not very open. I'm not very transparent. I'm not very authentic. I realize right now, sitting here in and of myself, there is a lot of pretense about my life that when I am with a lot of people, I become someone else. Y'all know this. You know how people, you get around some groups and one of your friends talks like this around this group. You get around another group and they start talking like this. Some of them even start having different accents and stuff. Over here, they're old redneck. Over here, they're high educated. It happens to me all the time. I'll be around people and somebody will, you know, a cuss word will come out. Sorry, preacher. Didn't mean to say that. I've never heard that before. What was that? <laughs> right? Just be real. That's why I like to be around people who are just real. Like, look, I don't like you. Just how it is. I can deal with that. But don't act like you do and don't, right? But we just, we, we just put on this pretense, and maybe right now you sit and you realize this. But think about this. This is, this is a challenge for us today because think about this. Who plays make-believe? Kids. And yet the church is so full of people today who are just playing make-believe Christianity. Their hearts really aren't for God, but we show up with the mask. Here's the challenge for us. Enough make-believe Christianity that is childish. It's time to move on to maturity. Grow out of the make-believe and begin to walk in the real thing. What God really wants for us. Here's my challenge to us as a church. We don't need to settle for a culture of hypocrisy. We need to push ourselves to be vulnerable because this rut of hypocrisy, this rut of pretending, this rut of make-believe is deep and the sides are slippery. And we easily fall into it. Instead of just being real and vulnerable with each other, we all just walk around. It's like I'm walking around with this monkey on my back and you're walking around with the monkey on your back and I really know you got the monkey, but you try to hide the monkey. And instead of us being willing to take the monkey off of each other's back, we just kind of walk around like it don't exist. Like you can tell me you don't struggle with stuff, but you're lying. I can tell you I don't struggle with stuff, but I'm lying. You can tell me you've never had a struggle with lust, but you're lying. You can never, you know, I mean, you've never had a, a negative bad thought in your life, but you're lying. You can never, you can tell me you've never, you know, had a thought of that was about anger or that, that was hateful. You've never done anything that was illegal or unjust or unrighteous. But we're not telling the truth. And if we know this about each other, we know this, then why do we consistently walk around 
in the body of Christ as if it doesn't exist. It's like we walk through the doors of the church and somebody does a Jedi mind trick and we walk in. It's like, look at me. <laughs> right? And it just isn't real. And this is why the church has this reputation. One of the things that bothers me as much as anything is to hear people say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. Just come on in. We need one more hypocrite. Like, no. Because a hypocrite is not being imperfect. A hypocrite is being imperfect while claiming perfection. The church doesn't have to be full of hypocrites because we're imperfect. Everybody knows we're imperfect. If we think we're putting on a mask that makes us better than everybody else, they know we're full of it, right? We, everybody knows. Everybody out there who is unsaved, who is not a Christian, who does not believe in God, they know right now that every single person sitting in this room is imperfect. We're not fooling them. And so hypocrisy is not being imperfect. Hypocrisy is being imperfect and claiming perfection. It's walking around in our own self-righteousness. And self-righteousness has been killing the church for centuries. It's the judgmental glares that come from Christians. When the other person knows you're no better than I am, that pushes people away. And we need to understand this and realize this, that the church does not have to be full of hypocrites. We just got to come to a point of being real. Here's the truth. Transparency kills hypocrisy. Transparency kills hypocrisy. Hypocrisy cannot exist if we're transparent and we're authentic and we're real. But if we walk around like we've got it all together and we look at other people like, why don't you get it together like I got it together, then we're no better than this person wearing this mask. We are a hypocrite. And it pushes people away from God. Don't get lost on this. It doesn't save you. It doesn't save others. It keeps us dead inside. It leads others to hell, not heaven. It causes us to remain in condemnation and an enemy of God. It does not give strength in the battle. It does not give confidence in our calling. It does not give clarity and confusion. It does not give boldness in the battle. It is make-believe. It is something for children, and we need to grow out of it. The good news, transparency kills hypocrisy. But here's the challenge. We struggle to be transparent. We struggle to be authentic. We struggle to be real. We struggle. It's kind of like I talked about last week with the man with the shriveled hand, right? He had two hands. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. He could have stretched out the healthy hand, but instead he stretched out the shriveled hand. We have a really hard time putting out the thing that's messed up about us. Why is that though? It honestly, it comes back to the fact we don't want people to see the real me because I know in my heart that the real me doesn't measure up to the me that God wants me to be. It doesn't measure up to the me that others think I should be. And it doesn't measure up even to the me that I oftentimes want to be myself. And so I play the hypocrite. I wear the mask. I make believe. And I want you to hear this. This is, 
what I think happens inside of us, and I believe the scripture shows us this. And we know this innately. Standards create expectations. This is why I think we have such a hard time to be vulnerable, to be real, to be transparent in the church. Standards create expectations. Think about it. Every one of us, there's some standard in our life. Now, you may not have a moral standard. There are people that have very low, if any, moral standards. Your truth, your truth, my truth, my truth. Let's just do it, do whatever we want to do, and we'll be fine, right? But in your life, there is some kind of standard. If you've ever been to work, if you've ever been to school, then you have encountered a standard in your life. And with those standards comes an expectation, right? You go to work, there's an expectation of when you get there, there's an expectation of what you're going to wear. There's an expectation of your work performance. There's an expectation of the type of work you're going to do. There is a standard. That standard produces an expectation. Think about school. There's an expectation that you're going to either make an A, you're going to make a B, you're going to make a C, or you're not going to keep going, right? Some of you had high expectations. Your expectation, your standard for yourself may be set by your parents. They said you're going to make all A's. If you don't make all A's, this is the consequences. And so your standard was here. You made all A's. Me, I was kind of in that B range. C, some of y'all were just like C stands for continue on, right? And then there's a few of y'all in here that were like Tommy Boy, D plus. Let's go. How many of y'all were C? Let's continue on. Yeah, let's just get that C. Let's continue on, right? Here's the thing I noticed, too, and we'll understand this a little more in a minute. The people who were the C continue on people are a lot more chill than the ones that had to make the A's. Just a lot more chill. But with the standard came an expectation. And listen, with the expectation came a demand. With the expectation came a demand. So if the expectation now, because of the standard that has been set, is to make all A's then there is a demand put upon me to make those A's. I have to put a de demand on myself even to, to spend time studying, to spend time doing this, to spend time doing that, to make or meet the standard, to meet those expectations. If it's a B, so on. C, so on. Demands put on our life. So expectations create demands. Then listen, demands create pressure. Demands create pressure. Now think about this. How many of y'all in school, you had a big test? I know for me it was finals in school. And I'd take that last final. And there was so much pressure that I felt leading up to that final because I needed to make a certain grade. But man, after I took that final and I walked out, I was like, I don't care if the world ends tomorrow. I am free for the moment, Right? And it felt so good because the pressure was gone. I had all of this pressure because that demand to meet the expectation set by the standard put that pressure on me. What ends up happening, though, after that is that pressure tries to produce conformity. Pressure is like the Play-Doh. When you're a kid and you play with Play-Doh and you pushed it into a mold and, and you kind of got crammed into that mold. And so we begin to realize that the pressure kind of forces me to conform to a certain way. And this happens in church. It happens in our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. There's pressure to 
conform. There's pressure to meet the standard. There's pressure to meet those expectations. That creates a demand. The demand creates pressure. The pressure kind of pushes me into a mold. And we see this happening in the church. And see, here's the thing. The higher the standard, the greater the pressure. That's why the person who was okay with getting C's, they didn't feel nearly as much pressure as you did, and you're trying to get A's. Just wasn't the same. That's why, listen, some of the people who seem to be the most free are the people who say, I really don't have any moral truth. We do away with the standard so that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And listen, we'll just normalize all behavior. And so that behavior becomes normal. Whatever you want to do, you do. There's no standard. There's no expectation. There's no demand. There's no pressure. And they seem so free, but that's a false freedom. Because we all know that there are standards. We need to realize this and understand this, that there is a standard. There is an expectation. There are demands. There's demands that create this pressure and there's this pressure to conform. I want you to look at it like this. There's always a standard. If you're at work, if you're at school, wherever there is, there's a standard. But God also has a standard. The Bible tells us that that standard is his law. His law was given to us to try to put boundaries around us, to bring us to live in accordance with his design for what the world was intended to be. When we step outside those lines, that's what we call sin. We've missed the mark of what God intended. And this standard exists, but here's the thing we all know. We all know we don't meet this standard. That's why Romans 3.23 is so true that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us meets this standard on our own. And so then we come to deal with this fact that my ability will never allow me to meet this standard. I can't. But where we fall into a lot, and this is that slippery, deep slope that leads into this rut of hypocrisy and religion. What we do so many times is this standard and lack of ability ends up leading us into this place of pressure. This is what we feel is pressure. And that pressure causes us to conform. It's why you walk into most churches and everybody looks the same. Most of y'all, if y'all walked into a traditional church right now with what you're wearing, they look at you like you have four heads. And if somebody from a traditional church walked in here with a suit on right now, you'd look at them like they have four heads. Right? Occasionally we get one. I'm glad you're here. But you see what I'm saying? There is this pressure to conform. And then there's this pressure to get it all together. There's this pressure to not be transparent, not be authentic, not be real, but to be what my surroundings tell me I ought to be. But see, here's the thing we've got to understand is that when Jesus came, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And he said, this law is going to exist until heaven and earth, like until they pass away. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to take the standard away for you. I came to fulfill it for you. And this is what we see that actually should exist between God's standard and our ability. 
Not pressure, but grace. You know what bridges this gap? I had an incredible conversation with a young lady between services. She said, I just don't get it. She said, God's standard is perfection, right? I said, absolutely. She said, but we're not perfect. I said, amen. She said, then what's, what's, what, what is it? I mean, what, what happens? She's like, I mean, if we can't be perfect, then what do we do? I said, Jesus. See, grace this unconditional love and unmerited favor of God, it doesn't stop there. Grace, that unconditional favor or love, that, that unmerited favor moved God to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That means Jesus went to the cross. He lived a life for you to fill in this gap. You will never meet the standard on your own. But guess what? God, through his ability, has met it for us. I told her, I said, think about it like this. Can you take a, a, a dirty table and a dirty rag and clean that dirty table? She said, no, it just stay dirty. I said, but can you take a clean rag and a dirty table and clean that dirty table? She said, yes. I said, that's what Jesus did. I said, he who had no righteousness or he who, he became unrighteous so we could become the righteousness of God. That's what I said came out a lot more fluid then. I said he became unrighteous so that we could become the righteousness of God. I said he became unclean so that we could become clean. I said, is it any wonder that the Bible tells us that when Jesus breathed his last breath and the wrath of God had fully fallen upon him on the cross for our sin, all the sin that had ever been committed and all the sin that would ever be committed, is it any wonder that the sky went dark and the earth shook and the ground literally cracked open because of all the wrath that fell on all of that sin? And she said, but so many people seem judgmental in the church. I said, I know. And it's not right. She's like, it seems like if we love people, then they want to know God. I was like, I know. She's like, but why don't we do that? I don't know. But it's all about grace. It's all about Jesus. We sing that song that talks about the chasm was far too wide, and yet Jesus bridged the chasm for us that chasm between us and God, grace filled in what we can never fill in for ourselves. Self-righteousness leads to behavior modification. It leads to you building this shell of pretense and surrounding yourself with pride. But listen, transparency leads to transformation. If we will become real with God and real with one another and even real with ourselves, God will take us from glory to glory. If we will truly come to Christ and we will truly look at Him, the Bible says that as we gaze upon the face of Christ, He takes us from glory to glory. Self-righteousness will lead us to stagnation and even death. But transparency will lead us to transformation and life.
Transparency kills hypocrisy. See, Jesus didn't just die for those little sins that we can kind of look at and go, look, man, it's okay. And some of you right now, you could say, you don't know the sin I've committed. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know the sin I've committed. But I know this, that his grace is sufficient to cover your sin just like it is to cover mine. And you don't have to hide from God or anyone else. Read one last scripture. Romans chapter 5. Verse 20. Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, the law. What was the law? The law is the standard. The law is how if we lived it out perfectly, we could be right with God. The law was perfect, but we're imperfect. He says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The law couldn't save us. It could only condemn us, but it pointed us to our need for a Savior. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But listen, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what that means. It means grace is greater than sin. It means that Jesus's accomplishments on the cross has overcome everything that happened with sin in the garden and everything that happened ever since. And now by simply depending on Christ and what he's done for us, we can be made right with him. We have no reason to try to hide behind these fig leaves any longer. The shame and guilt and condemnation has been done away with. And we can come boldly before God's throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. I don't have to fake it for you. I've tried for 13 years to never fake it in front of you. I've tried to never wear a mask through mental health issues, through the times on Saturday night that I go to bed thinking, how can I possibly get in front of those people and talk to them about Jesus when I know the darkness in my own heart? And we're not going to be a church that's built around a culture of hypocrisy. If you're perfect, you can't stay here. But if you're willing to be vulnerable, then God will bring the transformation. If you're willing to be transparent, then God transforms our hearts and he begins to transform our lives. He cleans us from the inside and then it projects from the outside. Do you know what this really ought to bring us to? This gap and grace in the middle, it shouldn't bring us to a place of pressure and conforming to the world. It should bring us to a place of worship and no longer conforming to the pattern of the world, but offering ourselves as living sacrifices and allowing our mind to be renewed so that we begin to reflect heaven. The gap doesn't bring despair for a believer. It brings a hallelujah because it's been filled. Jesus, I, was, I left 
Charleston about 5 o'clock this morning. Drove back to Statesboro. And on the way, I was praying and I was just thinking. And I started thinking about where Jesus went into the temple. And he began to turn over the tables and run the money changers out. And he began to do all these things. And he told them, he said, my house was meant to be a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of robbers. You've made it something it's not supposed to be. You're missing the point. My question to you as we finish this today is this. What have you made it? Is it still all about Jesus? Has it become something else? Has it ever been about Jesus? Maybe, listen, maybe you're sitting here today and you're one of the ones that's been so repelled by the judgmental, hypocritical Christians. Today, I want you to understand that's not God's heart. I had this thought of this song. It's an old song that I felt like fit today. And we're about to sing it. But it's an old song. It's called The Heart of Worship. And in it, says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. He says, forgive me, Lord, for the thing I've made it. It's all about you. And maybe for some of us today, that needs to be our cry to God. I think probably for a lot of us today, our cry needs to be, God, forgive me for what I've made it. Because it's all about you. I'm going to invite you, if you will, would you stand and let's sing. Some of you may want to come and pray. Maybe you need to come down here and just lay it before the Lord. Have somebody come pray for you. There will be prayer people here. Maybe today for you is the day of salvation. You say, I need, the, I need Jesus in my life. He's opened your eyes to see that. Come down forward. Somebody will come up, pray with you. Help you take your next steps of faith. If today's the day of salvation, you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Otherwise, if you need to come and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've made it. Here's my heart. I'm letting the walls down. I'm not okay, God, but I know I'm okay in you. You come and do that. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. Father, as we look at the standard and we look at the ability that we have, Lord, we worship you for Jesus who stands in between and your grace that abounds greater than our sin. Transform our hearts to make us look more like heaven. We love you, Lord.